Hello, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, when I first went off to college, my parents let me take with me the car of theirs that I had been driving since my sophomore year of high school. This was a 1995 Ford Taurus, and it was dark green. And if you're chuckling right now, it's because you know how lame of a car that is to take to college with you. And this was very generous on their part, but this car was notorious for just having lots of issues. I remember getting driven home from school in this car, and the circuitry of the power locks would go bad, and they would become possessed and jump up and down like chuck, 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 as we were driving. By the time I had received the Taurus, they had replaced the entire engine of this car. So it was generous, but I think they were also glad to get rid of this money pit at the same time. And I think that they were surprised that I would end up driving this car for another 12 years. And yeah, thank you. And. Uh, during those 12 years, as we came closer to the end of our time with the Taurus, I developed a different philosophy of car maintenance, which was if the car is still moving, nothing is actually broken, um, which of course was not true at all. The windshield wipers would only work when the blinker was on. Uh, which made driving and weather dangerous. And when they would stop, they would stop in the upward position, which would make driving period dangerous. And I discovered the only way to get them down is you turn on the radio and you put the wipers on the fifth speed and then you turn them all the way off again and then they'll go down. But if the radio's not on, it doesn't work. I don't know why, that's just how it works. Uh, when you turn right, it makes this awful grinding noise, and when you turn left, the car stalls. So you have to accelerate in a straight line and coast into the left turn, and then resume accelerating. Uh, let's see, the driver's side door would not open from the inside, uh, so that made it nearly impossible to get out. You, you'd had to jiggle the handle violently for about 15 seconds, and then the latch would catch, but this made passers-by in the King Supers parking lot a little nervous, watching you escape from your own car. Um, so the paint was peeling, and it had dents all over it from multiple car accidents that weren't worth the money to repair. It had become the equivalent of the family dog that was so old and sick, it really needed to be put down, but nobody had the heart to do it. So I ignored a lot of noises coming from this car. And every once in a while, something would happen that would leave me with no other choice but to take a look at this noise that was coming. And I hated doing that because I never knew what I was going to find. And it was most certainly going to be expensive. But what I hated the most about it is by opening the hood, I had to come to terms with the fact that I was the one who's been ignoring these issues for way too long. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Allen asked me to speak on a specific topic. And when he did, it felt like that. It felt like he was asking me to open up the hood and take a look at things that I've been ignoring for a long time. I should have seen them earlier. And I've heard noises of these things happening in Greeley, but I'd never seen it before. The thing he asked me to speak on was refugees and God's heart for refugees. 
See, we're in the third week of a series called Not Forgotten, and each week we take a look at a group of people that is easily overlooked and easily forgotten. And I have to be honest with you, when it comes to refugees, I am guilty of this. I had this perspective of, well, I've been called to a specific area of ministry, but it's not refugees. And I know some really fantastic people who are involved in the lives of refugees, so they're covered. But what we're finding in scripture, the pattern here is the people that are most easily overlooked and forgotten, those are the ones that God has expressed the most care and the most concern for. These are people that God wants all of us to have care and concern for, all of us. And refugees definitely fall into this category. So when I started looking into it and looking at what scripture said about it, I was surprised by how often this actually came up in scripture. The Bible talks a lot about people who moved from a foreign country and settled in Israel. Now, people who did this back then, they did this almost always because they were facing war or famine or something else that just made it impossible to survive in their home country. So they did this by necessity, not by choice. These were people who were in need of a refuge. And the ESV translation of the Bible translates the Hebrew word for this to the word sojourner. So this is God's heart for the sojourner or for the refugee. Deuteronomy 10 verses 18 and 19 says this, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In Leviticus 19, and 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Numbers 15, 15, for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. In Deuteronomy 27, 19, cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, amen. This is just a handful of the many, many verses in scripture where God speaks of the sojourner, and all of them are like this, where God is talking about treating them equally and fairly, treating them with love and respect and generosity, welcoming them in as one of your own. It's clear that God has an abundant heart, a deep and compassionate heart for the refugee. But what's also clear is that it's important to God that his people will treat them well. He reminds Israel, this was you for hundreds of years in Egypt. You know what it was like to be mistreated and enslaved. You know what it was like, how hard it was to hang on to your own culture and to adjust to new laws. You know how wrong that was. Don't repeat those mistakes. It is astonishing how well established it was to God's people of how they're supposed to treat the sojourner or the refugee. There's a verse in Leviticus that blew me away. Verse 25, or sorry, chapter 25, verse 35 of Leviticus says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. 
I would have expected God to use the image of family as an example of how to treat the sojourner, but it was so well known to God's people, his heart for them, that he used the image of the sojourner of how to treat your own family in this situation. Israel knew full well how they were supposed to treat the refugee when they encountered one. I know a father of biological and adoptive children, and I asked him, how did you explain to your biological children that these kids that you were going to adopt were now family? And he said the moment that he and his wife decided to adopt, they immediately began talking to their kids about how they were going to receive brothers and how they were going to be a part of our family, that their family was going to grow. They were very intentional with this language. So they started praying with their boys for these new brothers that they were going to receive. And once they found out who they were and they got pictures, they would put these pictures up in their kid's room and they continue to pray for their brothers now by name. So by the time that these boys were actually adopted and they came to the home, it was so well established how they were to be treated. There was no confusion for anyone that these boys were now family. They were brothers and they were sons. This father was setting up for his sons how they should receive their brothers. And here, God is doing the same thing for us. He's establishing for us, his people, how we should receive the refugee, how we should receive the sojourner when we encounter them. So God's heart for these people is absolutely clear. And it is also clear that we are to welcome them in as one of our own. And what is also clear is that a few thousand of these people that God has a heart for live right here in Greeley. Now, I want to be really upfront about something. I am not an expert on this. A couple weeks ago, I didn't know most of anything that I'm sharing with you right now. I just got to hang out with some refugees and with some friends of mine who are deeply involved in the lives of refugees, and I got to learn from them. And I also want to be really clear that none of this is a political statement. Like, I'm aware of the issues on both sides of the matter. I know people are concerned about terrorism and overpopulation and job security and prejudice and racism and human rights. And I'm not wanting to speak to either side here. All I'm wanting to do is speak to the reality of the refugee and what scripture has to say about this. So there are a decent number of refugees living in Greeley. And the way that the United States defines a refugee is someone who has fled from his or her home country and cannot return because he or she has a well-founded fear of persecution based on religion, race, nationality, political opinion, of, or membership in a particular social group. There are a few thousand people in our city who meet this description. And most of them are Somalian or Burmese. So I looked into what's going on in Somalia. Well, in 1988, a civil war started in Somalia between multiple clan-based militias, and they started warring with each other. And this has escalated today to the point where the government has completely lost control of the situation. I was speaking with a Somalian woman just last week, and she was telling me about what life was like in her village. And she said that every once in a while, a militia would come in and just take over the village, and they would own it now. And then another militia would come in and push out the rival militia. And anytime this violent transition happened, the village suffered. People died during these transitions. And you could sense the anger and the frustration in her voice 
when she talked about how the government did absolutely nothing to help them. They received no help. They were vulnerable. I looked up something online called the Fragile State Index. And this is a website that rates countries on a bunch of different factors and how likely this country is to collapse. And on the Fragile State Index, the country of Somalia is ranked as number one. Somalia is the most likely, most likely country to just entirely collapse. Somalia is a war state filled with militias entirely unchecked by laws. Since the civil war began, two and a half million people have died there because of this civil war. So those are where our Somalian refugees come from. Now, as far as the Burmese refugees, in 1948, Burma gained independence. And a lot of the minority tribes in Burma, they didn't like the new government that was being formed. So they decided not to join. But Burma didn't like this. So their military tried to force these minority tribes to join the government and they resisted. So what the military is doing now is just killing off these minority tribes. <clears throat> they will enter into a village, they will rape the women, they will massacre everyone there, and they will burn the village to the ground. Anyone who escapes this, they flee into the jungle and they start a new village, but the military finds that one, and again they rape, and they massacre, and they burn that village down. So if you live in one of these minority tribes, you spend your entire life being constantly hunted down by the military. They will even chase you into neighboring countries. They will cross their own borders to find you and kill you. So that's where our Burmese refugees come from. Now for either of these groups to come to the United States, the very first thing that they need to do is make it to a refugee camp that's run by the United Nations. Somalian camps, they are in Kenya. And these camps are vastly overpopulated. I heard of camps that have the capacity for 90,000 refugees, and they house 200,000 refugees. And they have the resources for half that. There are camps as large as 500,000 Somalian refugees in Kenya, and some of them are about to close. Now, the Burmese, they flee into Thailand. Their camps are in Thailand. But the thing about those camps is the Burmese military will cross into Thailand's territory and attack those camps. So even in the refugee camps, they aren't safe from attack. So they make it to these camps, and they apply for refugee status. And the very first thing that they have to do is prove that they are actually a refugee. And once that investigation is completed, there's this long background check before you can enter the United States. So these background checks go through the Counterterrorism Center, they go through the FBI, Department of State, Homeland Security, Department of Defense. Once those are done, then there's this in-depth interview with a specially trained interrogation officer. And if that person feels comfortable, then you can enter into the United States. In total, this process takes on average over 15 years to get here. And those 15 years start when they actually make it to the refugee camps that are either vastly overpopulated or always under the threat of attack. This is where our refugees come from. What this means is anyone who comes to our country as a refugee did not do so on a whim. They are not here because they have the option. They are here because they have no other option. These are people who are desperately in need of help. Before learning all this, 
I had the mindset that our country was kind of like the nurse's office at an elementary school. Really, anything could get you in there. Like, all you had to do is just have some sort of an excuse and pass a simple background check. My wife is a third grade teacher, and she shared with me some of the excuses her kids gave to go see the nurse. And they're awesome. My earlobe hurts. My legs are growing. My eyes don't work. My braids are too tight. And my favorite one is, my glasses aren't clean. I need to see the nurse. And I thought this is kind of the system that we had to let people in. But the reality that we're talking about here is more like a shooting victim in an ER waiting room. And the wait time is four days. And they're starting to bleed out. The refugees in our city are people who needed help 15 years ago. They are desperately in need of help. They are the lucky ones. And God has made his heart for these people clear. And he has made it clear what we are supposed to do. Welcome them in. Now, around Thanksgiving, a lot of people, they point back to our roots, that our ancestors fled Europe because of religious persecution. So we were, in a sense, refugees. But that was a really long time ago. And I don't really identify with that anymore. That's not our current reality. But I did discover that there is a current reality that all of us are in, that we can't miss. It's much bigger than any of that. God has a deep heart for the present refugee, but God also has a heart for the eternal refugee. And you and I are eternal refugees. Ephesians chapter two, verses 12, 13, and 19 says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What Paul is writing here is that there was a time where we were hopeless. We were vulnerable, left out in the open, victims to our own sin and our own sinfulness. We were strangers and aliens, sojourners, refugees in need of a refuge. But then Christ came. And in Christ, we have found our refuge. In the book of Psalms alone, God is referred to as our refuge almost 50 times. Now to me, anyone who is in need of a refuge that badly is the definition of a refugee. So a present refugee is someone who has fled their home to find safety, but the eternal refugee is every living, breathing human being. You and I are eternal refugees. And I want to be really clear here. We have certainly found refuge from our sin. And we have found refuge from the wrath of God if we've put our faith in Jesus. Our salvation is 100% secure in Christ. But we are not home. Philippians 3 verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5, 4 through 8 says, 
For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. If a refugee finds refuge, they're still a refugee. It's only when they return home that they are no longer a refugee. And you and I, we are eternal refugees. Our souls long for home. This is never more evident to me than during an election season. And again, I'm not making a political statement here towards either side. What I'm trying to say is this. No matter who is in the White House, and no matter who's in the Senate, and no matter who's in Congress, and no matter who's on the Supreme Court, there will always be a sense in our souls that I don't belong here. Not let's move to Canada, I don't belong here. But the soul deep longing for home, I don't belong here. I long for home. When a believer dies and we say, at least it's good to know where they are now, we don't say that just because it's nice there. We say that because they have made it home. They are finally home. And someday we will be home with them. God's heart for the present refugee is clear. And what we are to do is clear. But there's something that we can't miss here. And that's every human being in Greeley, regardless of who they are or what country they've come from, is an eternal soul. And every one of us longs for the same home. When we open our eyes to this, all of the fear and all of the prejudice and all of the confusion of who are they? Where did they come from? How did they get here? Are they a citizen? Are they not? All of this just gets wiped away. And the simple command in scripture that this gets boiled down to is, love your neighbor. There are a few thousand of our neighbors here in Greeley that are desperately in need of love right now. And if you're like me, you're probably wondering, well, what can I do? I only speak English. How do I, only, how do I even begin to love these people? I don't even know where they are. Well, to know how to love any neighbor, we can't just know where they've come from. We need to know what they're going through right now. And for the refugee, when they land in DIA, they are scared out of their minds. They've spent their lives living in jungles and deserts. To land in a place like DIA is just terrifying to them. When they get ushered onto the train that takes them to baggage claim, they don't know why they're on it. They don't know where they're going. When they get their bag, they're given a shirt that says refugee, and they're basically on their own from there. They have to figure out how to make it to the city that they've been told to go to. And once they get to Greeley and they begin to settle here, there are some significant challenges that they face. Probably the biggest is culture and language. They've never experienced anything like living in the city of Greeley before. 
They're given jobs, but they're not familiar with the American workday or how to get to work. They are given places to live, but they don't know anything about bills or rent or utilities. Most of them don't even know what a toilet is. And if they have questions, they don't even speak English. So there's no one that they know to ask these questions to. They have so many challenges here. And English is a huge barrier to that. But what's cool is if they've lived here long enough, their kids begin to learn English so that they can translate for them. But that causes another challenge because their children, they don't know where their family has come from. Like they know, but they don't really know. And they're growing up in an entirely different world that their parents grew up in, which is the reality for any parent. But for the refugee, this is so much more extreme. How do you parent your child when they're growing up in an environment that you are just as unfamiliar with? How do you guide them? How do you direct them? Persecution is also something that refugees face here in Greeley. Their stores are vandalized. Their cars are scratched with keys. Even the children are called terrorists. And they don't just face persecution from majorities, they face it from other minorities in Greeley too. All of this just causes them to isolate themselves even further inside of our community. Now their biggest need by far is Jesus because 99.8% of Somalia is Muslim and only 6% of Burma is Christian. So when a refugee comes here, most of them have never even heard the name Jesus before. Now, what was made quite clear to me is that they have a significant opportunity to hear the gospel here. If you went to their home country and you shared the gospel door to door, it wouldn't be long before you were killed on someone's doorstep. But here, they just have this open opportunity. Now, from the people that I talked to, I learned that what they definitely don't need is a handout. I was speaking with my friend Zach and his wife, and they moved into the community that a lot of these refugees live. And what he said really stuck out to me. He said, they don't need charity. What they need is neighbors who love them. Now, they definitely do have needs. But I was speaking with my new friend, Josh Kreider, and he and his wife, Katie, they are heavily involved in the Burmese community, which you're going to see a little bit of in just a moment. But he was telling me that their biggest fear is not having enough food for their families. They are given jobs, and it's enough to support one person. But these jobs that they're given, it's not enough to support an entire family. And it's hard to find better paying work when you don't speak English and you don't have any prior work experience. But he said because of their culture, they are more likely to serve you the last of their food as a meal than they ever are to ask for food. He said it takes a neighbor to know what these people need. He said the only way to know the needs of these people is to develop a relationship with them. And the story of what happened when Josh and Carrie tried this out is really cool. And I'd love for you to take a look at this. Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Carrie. And we're the Criders. I was working in a public health clinic, and I had the opportunity to meet a girl by the name of Pasa, who was our translator. Pasa introduced us, started introducing us to different refugee families and telling us about needs that would come up within the, within the community. And Carrie and I all of a sudden just got this pull on our heart that we needed to start bringing them to church and just see what they would do and if they would enjoy church. 
when we first started in with this um, community of people, we both felt in our hearts that it was right and that it was good and that God was going to use us and our willingness um, to further his kingdom. There was one Sunday we decided, okay, let's load up my truck and just go over there to one of the refugees' houses and tell them that we're going to take them to church. And um, every week, week in, week out, we would just go by and pick them up. Well, pretty soon there was six people, eight people, ten people. And so we started driving two different vehicles, and I would drive my truck, and uh, she would drive the van. We'd kind of smush the kids in the back seat, and then I'd run up and knock on the door, and a whole bunch of people would... A lot of times they were still in their pajamas or whatever, but they'd run out and they'd see our faces and just be so happy to see us and come in and just load in the car. Um, and it was pretty quiet. I mean, the drives were pretty quiet because not really anybody spoke English, but you could just see the joy on their faces. One of the men that continued to come over and over and over, his name was Soray, and Soray is a man who has five kids. Um, he's got a really kind of a rough story, he lived in the refugee camp for years and years. Um, he's married, and is just a really good father. We were driving down the road uh, one day and praying for Soray and praying for the future of these people that we had a heart for, and uh, immediately God just gave me a vision of, of Soray, and I was baptizing him. And it was the most clear. I've never had a vision in my life. I've never had anything like this happen. Um, but it was clear as day when I, I took him under the water and I pulled him up and he was smiling at me. So I went home, told Carrie about it, and we immediately felt like we needed to go share the Lord with him and his family. So we called the translator that I worked with, went over to their house, and on the floor was him, his children, his wife, his grandma. When we had the opportunity to go over to Soray's house, it was just the most beautiful experience because their hearts were so ready and um, their faith is so willing to um, accept the truth of Jesus and it's incredible. And so um, Carrie and I sat down and we translated uh, the gospel message to him and we told we told our translator who told another translator who then spoke it in the language of Kurani. And so we asked how many in the room have heard the name of Jesus and nobody had. Um, and they all just accepted Jesus without hesitation. I mean, right then and there. So um, we asked if they had something they would like to accept. And sorry, what did Sorry say? He said, why wouldn't I? Yeah, why wouldn't I accept this Jesus that you've told me about? After all of these individuals had accepted the Lord and um, Sorry had accepted the Lord, we had the opportunity on Easter Sunday to come here to this to this church and baptize all of the new believers. I remember walking into the water with Soray and when I, I put him underwater and he came up and he had the same exact smile as in my vision and he gave me this this really, really tight hug. Um, Karini people don't like to touch a whole lot and hugging isn't their, is it their first nature. And he just squeezed me and held on to me and I could tell like this just changed his life. It was just a really, really influential moment for both of us. And just to see that God was using us for something bigger. He can use anybody. He can use me. And if he can use me, he can use anybody. Um, all you have to do is take that first step. You know, from hearing the initial call to, to start caring for these people, your risk really is minimal other than time. And, uh, but your reward is so great for those who are faithful to hear and respond to God's call in their life. Um, 
for us. It was a simple call to start taking some people to church, and it's grown tremendously. And God is faithful to use people if they would just respond to his mm-hmm. voice and respond to what he calls them to do. I'm so thankful that God is using us um, in this city and because it's doing such a beautiful work on our hearts, too. I love the, yeah, that's clapworthy for sure. I love their story, and this was just a glimpse of it. I got to sit down and have lunch with Josh, and it is astounding the opportunities that he and his wife have had with this community. And it is astounding how willingly the community has invited them into their lives. It is crazy how God used this. If you recognize Josh or Carrie, you should stop them in the grocery store and force them to tell you just all the things that have come from that one relationship with that one woman. And that's what I love about their story. This just started with one relationship, and God took it from there and turned it into this incredible impact. And I love how he just, he said, if I can do this, anyone can. You can tell from the emotions and the expressions on their faces, those are not the hearts of people who are burdened by something that people aren't getting on board with. These are the hearts of people who have received a gift. They are so thankful for experiencing the opportunities that God has given. It is so evident to them that they are not the ones that are creating this huge impact, but it is God. But what is also evident is that there is a huge opportunity where there is a group of people that are just dying to have a relationship with someone. They are just dying to be welcomed into this community of Greeley. It just started with one relationship, and the impact that came from that was huge. And when I was having lunch with Josh, I felt very small. I'm like, oh, I should be doing more about this. But it was also very intimidating for me at the same time. So I asked him, how does someone like me just dip my foot in? Like, how do I even begin to enter into this story? And he said, it's easy. The first thing you need to do is just notice them. Just become aware of the refugees around you. See them driving next to you. See them walking on the sidewalk. See them in the grocery store. See them in the hospital. Just become aware of the refugees around you. And the second thing, and he said, this is a lot easier than it sounds. It's just invite them into your life. What they did is they just invited people to church and they're like, all right. And they filled up the vans and they didn't say a word because no one spoke the same language, but they just want to be invited into people's lives. And so they came along and their lives ended up being changed. So he said, just invite them into your life, invite them to church, invite them over for dinner. Almost all of the refugees in our community have never been welcomed into an American's home. Think of how incredible that would be for them. He shared with me about the first time that they did this, and 
they were just silent for the whole meal because there was no way that they could talk to each other. But food is a great universal language. They all understood food. But the impact, again, that came from this simple gesture was huge. And he said, enter into their lives as well. Enter into their lives. Become interested in their life and their culture. Ask them to teach you how to cook their food. Become interested in their clothes. Just do this and you'll be surprised by how willing they are to receive this kind of invitation because they are so desperately in need of neighbors who will love them. This is a huge part of who we are as a church. One of the nine initiatives of for our city and beyond vision is that we would be for the refugees in our community and around the world. For example, if you give to For the City, a lot of those funds, they go towards the Global Refugee Center here in Greeley, but they also go towards a team of people that is training refugees to share the gospel with their fellow refugees as they flee dangerous places and enter into Europe. But this is so much more than finances, so I don't want you to hear that. What this is really about is relationships. And there are some wide open, fantastic opportunities for you to begin to develop relationships with our neighbors. And we've created an insert for you in the packet that you received when you came here. And you'll find information on how to learn more about the Global Refugee Center and Right to Read and Soccer Without Borders. And we've also included some ways that you can pray for the refugees in our community too. So I encourage you to check that out. But it's not just an opportunity for you to get involved. This is a way for your e-group to get involved or your family to get involved too. Now, please don't become overwhelmed with the question of how do we change every single refugee story in Greeley? But what if you changed one refugee story? What if you noticed them and then learned their name and they learned yours what if you invited them into your life, invited them to church, invited them over for dinner? What if you entered their life? Think of the impact that could happen from just one relationship. What would it take to change one refugee story? And the reason why we do this is because all of us are refugees. And that's what's really stuck out to me from this. I've realized in these past few weeks of looking into this that I have become apathetic and even a little prejudiced towards refugees. But when I see them from an eternal perspective, I see that the present refugees in our community are my fellow refugees. Because every one of us is an eternal soul created by the same creator and every one of us longs for the same home. So how do I have any excuse to be apathetic or judgmental towards someone who's trying to survive in a culture that is not their own when that is the reality of every single believer trying to follow God in this world? Every one of us is an eternal refugee. Every one of us longs for the same home. And when we open our eyes to this, we see God's heart for our neighbors. Let's pray. 
what I want to do now is I just want to invite you uh, to think about a few things. And it would be great if you could invite God into that process too so you can wrestle around with these questions just privately together with him. So the first thing I'd like you to think about to yourself is first just become aware of your soul right now. I'm not quite sure how to instruct you to do that, but I think we all have a way to a degree. Just become aware of how your soul is feeling right now. Does it feel like it belongs here? Think about the last time that you felt like your faith and your beliefs don't fit in with the common culture. How did that feel? This one might take some courage. Think about the last time you saw a refugee either driving around or at the grocery store or something. What was your heart's attitude towards that person? The next time that you see a refugee, what would you like your heart's attitude to be towards that person? Father, right now we pray for our neighbors who are desperately in need of love. I pray, we pray that you would comfort them right now. For those who have just arrived here, would you just give them peace right now? And would you place others in their lives that can help them just gain a sense of understanding of how to begin to live here? Father, we pray for our neighbors who have kids who are growing up in a world that their parents don't know how to guide them through. We pray that you would give them wisdom you would give them good discernment in how to direct their sons and their daughters. Father, we pray for the scars left behind of family that they've lost in their home countries, of the mothers and the fathers that they've lost, of the sisters, of their brothers, their own wives, their own husbands, their own sons, their own daughters. Father, would you begin to heal those wounds? Father, would you place people in their life who know Jesus to share the gospel with them? 
Would you create encounters with our neighbors where we have the opportunity to share the hope that we have with them? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have that we will one day go home because we have put our trust in you, Jesus. And we pray for the same hope and assurance for them. Father, right now we pray for every person in this room who's involved with the Global Refugee Center, who's involved with Right to Read, who's involved with soccer, without borders, anyone here who knows a refugee or their families personally, God, would you just fill them up with the love and the capacity that can only come from you? Would you give them a continued deep and compassionate heart for these people? Would you use these people in magnificent ways that give you glory and bring other people into your kingdom? Would you encourage them right now? Would you give them all the things that they don't have the ability to have, all the experience that they haven't gained yet? all of the words that they need in every moment and every conversation, would you help them to relate to our neighbors who have gone through things that we can't even imagine? Father, would you stir up our souls right now? Would you help us to become aware of our heart's longing for home? And would that realization help us to stand with our other neighbors that long for the same home? Father, we love you and we worship you right now and we pray this in your name.